Play clock at one. With Lenahan sees some room to run. Makes a man miss. Touchdown. Nice protection. Nowhere to go with the football. When the lights come on and the beer taps flow. And I hear the crowd singing life of a rolling stone. When hell freezes over and the vandals are worth a damn. That's when I'll see you again. When pigs begin to fly and there's peace among men. Standing for something is no longer seen. When the sun comes out and I crawl out of my den, that's when I'll see you again. Hell must have got pretty damn cold, and who thought that vandals and winterbolt? Out tonight, all I see are my friends. It's good to see you. You know what, guys? We're just gonna skip the intro song this week. Uh, this is this is Tubbs of the Club, typically, guys. Which the reason we're skipping the intro is this is a solo venture I'm starting. Uh, through Tubbs of the Club, but also in conjunction with the Big Sky Podcast Network. This is Big Sky Power Rankings Week 1. I'm Brian Marceau. Again, typically this is Tubbs of the Club channel. So if you're a Tubbs listener and you're thinking, hey, why does this look different? It's because this is not just an Idaho-centric show. This is this this show specifically. We're gonna I'm going to be talking about the Big Sky as a whole. However, is brought to us by Hughes River Expedition, as anything on this channel always is going to be. So really quick layout with how this is going to work. The I'm going to deliver the Big Sky Podcast Network Power Rankings, 12 through 1, Big Sky Conference, talking about what every team did this week. The Big Sky Podcast rate Rankings itself, it's made, it's a power poll done by a combination of Contributors to different Big Sky Podcast Network shows like RNR Catcast, Grizz Fan, Equal Power Hour, Tubs of the Club, of course, but also with the help from some Big Sky beat reporters from across the entire conference. So everyone does their own voting. Voting is it's a power poll. So this is not, hey, who do you think is the best team in the conference precisely? This is power rankings. Who is the best right now? And that's it. That's how the show is going to work. And we're going to roll right in starting number 12. Pretty dang predictable place where we're going to start at, guys. We're going to go to Greeley. Not the long grass anymore, but Northern Colorado. Look, week one, Northern Colorado has definitely their easiest game of the entire season on their schedule. They're at home. They're hosting Houston Baptist. And Obviously, if you're a Northern Colorado fan, this is a must-win game if there's any prayer of Northern Colorado having an okay season. Well, they're not number 12 because week one went well. Northern Colorado goes down at home to Houston Baptist, 46-34. to 34. And the story of this game is going to be the story of the entire season for Northern Colorado. It's what in God's name are the McCaffreys doing? Northern Colorado, 
Uh, look, they lose by 12, but they were down multiple scores heading into the for- heading into the fourth quarter. And the the real question of what this is going to boil down to in Northern Colorado is look when Dylan McCaffrey quarterback was in, he the dude just does not stretch the field. Last season averaged 4.99 yards per pass in Big Sky play. This week he goes 15 to 24, 176 yards, two touchdowns in part of the game. Look, so like not the worst stat line in the entire world. The thing for Northern Colorado is when he gets pulled, Jacob Sermon transferred from central Michigan actually started for about four weeks for central Michigan last year. Uh, Sermon comes in. His stat line is both more impressive and less impressive than Dylan McCaffrey. Sermon goes 22 or 33 for 249 yards, two touchdowns, throws one pick ends up losing uh, also has a fumble. It it was the fumble. It was the fumble that killed Northern Colorado's final drive and was recovered by Houston Baptist return for a touchdown. Um, But the story part here, the takeaway, Northern Colorado's offense moved much better when Jacob Sermon's in. Like they scored 20 points in the fourth quarter. Of course, that uh, you guys can handle the math. They had 34 and scored 20 in the fourth quarter. That means prior to Sermon coming in, they only had two touchdowns. An anemic offense was what killed Northern Colorado last season in Big Sky play, where they averaged 12 points a game. Other takeaways for Northern Northern Colorado: uh, Look, transfer former All Big Sky. Elijah Dotson from Sacramento State. He looked all right in he had 10 carries for 59 yards. Looks looked fast. Looked like exactly the kind of guy he was at Sacramento State. Also caught four passes for 43 yards and a touchdown. So I mean, look, there is there is some talent in Greeley. Uh, maybe a surprise was the top target uh, was 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 Alec Pell, eight receptions for 68 yards and a touchdown, a long of 23. Uh, transfer from Washington State, who's been on Northern Colorado for a couple of years, Cassidy Woods. Uh, not that big a game, two catches for 25 yards. But uh, look, we're, we're done running through the stats for individual players for Northern Colorado. They're number 12 because Houston Baptist has 20, just picked up their 21st win in program history. And sure, Northern Colorado picks up 543 total yards, which is a, a strong output. But Houston Baptist is, is a, the kind of FCS team that would probably lose to a good number of division two teams. So the fact that Northern Colorado lost this game, which to me easiest game on their schedule, the entire season. And it's at home. That's why unequivocally Northern Colorado comes in at number 12, which means we're officially done talking about Northern Colorado other than to say, Hey, we're going to see this week. What Ed McCaffrey does with, with a quarterback, um, Jacob Sermon looks a lot more comfortable in in an RPO kind of situation where you know it's the football version of street ball essentially for when Jacob Sermon was out there, which uh, honestly for Northern Colorado made their offense look a lot more effective with Dylan McCaffrey in. He just doesn't stretch the field. It uh, doesn't mean he can't. It's just every single pass that he throws is a check down or a screen. I don't I don't have a better better explanation other than to say we've seen this for an entire season prior. We saw it again. If Northern Colorado is going to have a prayer, they got to go with Jacob Sermon. And at this point, like if, if they don't go with Jacob Sermon, they're going to start to get some revolt from their fans. Coming in, number 11, another not-so-shocking team, Idaho State. Now, Idaho State had a bye this week, so you could call that a win as far as head, first-year head coach Charlie Regal is going to be concerned. But if you were, you missed last week, look, Northern Colorado's own one, Idaho State's own one. You're going to notice mostly a trend if you're at the bottom, you Probably own one if you're towards the top. You're probably not. Idaho State in week zero 
loses at FBS UNLV now Mountain West UNLV uh, UNLV team that I don't think would even win the, would win the Big Sky Conference. Idaho State goes down 52 to 21. The rhythm of that game is in the first quarter. Idaho State honestly looked like they belonged. Uh, Tyler Vanderwall was transferred from Wyoming, who looked strong in the spring season, then did not play much in 2021. Went down with a shoulder injury early and was done. He's their starting quarterback. First quarter, he looked pretty solid through a touchdown, through a terrible pick. But mine, that was while Idaho State was driving. The first couple of times I had the ball, that Idaho State actually looked okay. Their line was giving Vanderwall time. Uh, second quarter, things fell apart. UNLV outscores Idaho State 35 to 0. The rest of the game is mostly UNLV running out the clock. Vanderwall did go down with injury. Hunter Hayes came in. Uh, Hunter Hayes started most of last season for Idaho State. Both Vanderwall and Hayes go 7-13, to 13, but Vanderwall picks up 130 yards in his 13 attempts. Hayes picks up 61 yards. Picked up a touchdown, too, but uh, look, the jury's in. Tyler Vanderwall is the guy who looked most effective for Idaho State. The running game is a real question at Idaho State, too, because look, their top running back, Raiden Hunter, picked up 26 yards on 13 carries. The reason I say it's a question, I interviewed Charlie Regal at Media Days. He wants Idaho State to be able to run the ball. And against against UNLV, they rushed 50 times. Sorry, they rushed 40 times for 50 yards, a 1.3 average. R- rushed 40 times, passed 27 total times. Look, if they rush for 1.3 yards per rush, you don't need me to explain that Idaho State was completely ineffective running the football. That's a goal of Charlie Raggles, a stated goal. I don't think they have the line depth. Early in the game, Idaho State's line looked okay, but it fell apart pretty dang quick. The announcing team talked about how Idaho State has 51 new guys on the roster. Definitely looks like Idaho State's got a steep learning curve ahead of it. But injuries at quarterback also, uh, look, that that's an issue too. Do have a little bit of receiving talent. Top target was Xavier Gallery, four receptions for 73 yards and a touchdown. Looks like the kind of receiver just about any team on the big sky would like to have. But again, look, the team goes down 52 to 21. Not a whole lot of positives to take away from that game in my mind. That's also from having seen Idaho State just fall apart again. Second quarter, they surrender five touchdowns, have no pushback whatsoever. It looked a lot like, quote, unquote, same old Idaho State that that second quarter but i will say again if there's 51 new players on the roster it's just going to take a school like idaho state some time to get their to get to, to hit the ground running man that's not everyone can be idaho where your first year head coach is looking pretty damn good that's not a put down charlie raggle it's just a huge project coming in number 10 cal poly and cal poly another school in big sky with a coaching change in the last couple of years this is the second uh, normal season for Bo Baldwin. Cal Poly goes down 35 to seven at Fresno State. Fresno State Mountain West team, a good Mountain West team. This there's some mixed returns here. So Cal Poly, there's a, it's hard to have lower expectations for Cal Poly than a lot of the Big Sky had heading into this game because look in the spring season they were the worst football team in the history of football. In the 2021 season, Cal Poly picks up two wins, but they're 
it was a long run between those two wins. There's a lot of times where Cal Poly just didn't look like it belonged. Now that that's to be expected. Bo Baldwin's shifting that team to a spread offense from a triple option. That's a radical shift. Preseason interview with Colter Nuanez, Bo Baldwin also talked about how hey, Cal Poly's biggest recruitment issue right now isn't the extremely high academic standards in the school. It's the cost of living in San Luis Obispo. So look, there's certainly some challenges, but Cal Poly, th they had some moments that were promising. They're down 21-0 in the first quarter, and the first quarter they are just looking is as though, hey, they didn't skip a beat from last season. They're ready to just get their ass kicked week in, week out. Second quarter, Cal Poly starts looking like a team that that's coached by Bo Baldwin. They're they're effective moving the ball for a while, pick up a touchdown, get it to 21 to seven. They have two consecutive drives after forcing a punt from Fresno state after the Cal Poly's first touchdown where Cal Poly's driving. They get to inside, they get to goal goal line territory, you know, five, five yards out. They go for it on fourth and five down 21 to seven. This is on a second consecutive successful drive. And one, this is what I mean. They're starting to look like a Bo Baldwin team being aggressive offensive, offensively and gambling a little bit. Well, look, they don't, they don't convert quarterback starting quarterback, Jane Jones. He's 20 of 38 on the game, throws a touchdown, 211 yards. Was there, he looks relatively mobile, looked like a solid passer as well. A little surprised to see Jane Jones as a starter, but uh, there were moments against against Fresno State he looked like he belonged. After that fourth down conversion, Cal Poly doesn't really threaten a ton throughout the rest of the game. Fresno State scores a couple more touchdowns for padding. But again, Fresno State's a good team. This isn't, you know, again, uh, this is not Cal Poly losing to Houston Baptist like Northern Colorado or even Idaho State losing to UNLV. Fresno State's a good football team. Uh, defensively, Cal Poly's front seven surprisingly, really surprisingly effective. At, at uh, stopping the run and even okay, stopping the run may be a little bit generous when they lose 30, they lose 35 to seven, give up 5.2 yards per rush. But there's moments where you can see Cal Poly's line look like they could be effective for parts of a big sky game. Uh, side note, Fresno State's a really good passing team that both they're both strong at receiver and also look quarterback Jake Hayner. He's 36 of 42 for 377 yards and two touchdowns. He looks like he looks like a great quarterback. Cal Poly could do nothing to stop Hayner, but it, it was hard to disentangle. Look, is that how much of this is Hayner versus Cal Poly secondary just not being there? It would be another hallmark of a Bo Baldwin team to have a pretty weak secondary. And Cal Poly, the last couple of seasons, has certainly not uh, flexed their muscle on the defensive sides. So my takeaway here is uh, front seven might be promising right now enough to pressure some big sky teams that if a big sky team plays Cal Poly and doesn't give a good effort, Cal Poly could surprise an okay big sky team, but look, they scored seven total points. So there's a ton, uh, there's a ton of room for Cal Poly to improve. Obviously they're going to be on the uh, wrong side of a lot of box scores this season, but look, there, there at least is a little, little progress. They're led on the ground rushing by uh, Jane Johnson as, Jane Jones as well, quarterback, rushes nine times for 59 yards. Top receiving target what top receiving target is Chris Coleman, three receptions for 74 yards. Also, uh, in terms of individual catches, Bryson Allen for Cal Poly, six catches for 52 yards. He snagged their touchdown, but that's Cal Poly number 10. Their number 10 Big Sky podcast uh, power rankings for a reason. Uh, number nine. 
which you're going to see the numbers are screwed up on my on my banners and no one's going to die. Uh, Northern Arizona comes in at number number nine and uh, Northern Arizona, man, um, pretty, pretty rough outing for pretty rough outing. Look, Northern Arizona goes down 40 to three at Arizona State. So, I mean, your first thing, obviously, they're playing a good Pac-12 team. No one expects NAU to really threaten a team like Arizona. RJ Martinez, one of the top returning quarterbacks in the big sky, has a rough as hell outing. Goes 18 for 28 for 92 yards and two interceptions, three points, obviously, no touchdowns. He was running for his life. Look, Northern Arizona's line could do absolutely nothing to stop Arizona State whatsoever. Uh, there's really not a lot promising from a three-point offensive outing to take away. Uh, Kevin Daniels, strong, strong big sky running back last season, led the league in rushing yards in league play. Eleven rushes for twelve yards, a long of seven. Uh, you know, if your quarterback RJ Martinez throws for ninety-two yards, like uh, Jeff Widener came in for two plays, he was two for two for five yards. So that's thirty attempts for ninety-seven yards. Northern Arizona certainly did nothing to install confidence that they're on the uh, Northern Arizona should be on the correct side of that mid tier in the conference. Secondary looked pretty weak and look, this was just an ass kicking all over the field. So if you're an NAU fan, your best takeaway here is that look, maybe the reason NAU looked just terrible is because Arizona state's better than you hope for, but uh, certainly was not a promising, promising outing that we saw. If I'm a if I'm a Northern Arizona lumberjack, I am absolutely just saying, look, scratch this game off. We're done. It was rough. It was a scheduled loss. We funded our athletic department. No one was catastrophically injured. They did lose. They did have an O lineman go down. So I mean, that's also the horror story of these bye games early on. But Northern Arizona certainly uh, certainly didn't look. We're, we're now into that mid tier. It's a pretty the mid tier of the conference is pretty big once you exit Northern Colorado. Idaho State, Cal Poly, Northern Arizona, uh, not making the case for anyone to really uh, view them higher up on this. Uh, we're, we're now going to move. This is where I would disagree with the overall results from the poll, but uh, I don't really care. The point of the show isn't to talk about the uh, bureaucracy of power rankings. It's just go over what the actual rankings were. Uh, we have... Coming in at number eight, we have Portland State. Portland State, and I say uh, surprising for me that that's where Portland State comes in. Because Portland State had one of the better outings in the entire conference. And look, Portland State loses 21-17 to San Jose State. This was a game that Portland State led in the fourth quarter. And honestly, Portland State face-planted this game away with a dropped a fumble punt, which San Jose State recovered, and a pick in the last few minutes, which San Jose San Jose State eventually converted, picked up the picked up a lead. But looking with a minute left in the game, Portland State led seventeen to fourteen. So th- this was a game that Bruce Barnum and Co are absolutely saying they should have won because they should have won. The takeaways for Big Sky purposes here, because San Jose State doesn't look like a terrible Mountain West team. They finished five and seven overall last year, which for a program like San Jose State, that's solid. 
and, and San Jose State, look, if you're five and seven Mountain West, your worst case scenario, a good big sky team. Question everyone has for Portland State. Davis Alexander graduates. What in God's name are they going to do at quarterback? Well, Dante Sachere, one career pass heading into this season. He's their starter. He goes 24 for 37, 270 yards to the air, throws two touchdowns, throws two picks. Chasseray also, his legs are a weapon, 14 rushes for 83 yards along of 14. So uh, overall play, Chasseray is not the best quarterback in the big sky, but he's absolutely not the worst. He's going to be a good enough quarterback, particularly with Portland State having one of the deepest uh, wide receiver rooms in the entire conference. They were paced as is pretty dang typical by Bo Kelly, all big sky preseason last season. He was all big sky. That's just who he is. He's kind of like if Cooper cup was uh, half a foot shorter and a little bit slower, he'd be Bo Kelly. Uh, but anyway, Kelly, nine receptions, 133 yards and a touchdown. Also uh, contributing from the receiving room, Nate Bennett, five receptions for 76 yards. Again, Portland State absolutely should have won this, but uh, in terms of like dissecting how this team, how this Portland State team represented itself, what it can do, Chasseray has, he's fine intermediate passing. He's most effective against the zone. He's not the most accurate passer in the big sky. He doesn't have the strongest arm, but he's not terrible. He's certainly good enough. Uh, he, he played well enough to put Portland State in position where the Vikings should have won this game. On the defensive side of the ball, Look, everyone knows Anthony Adams, one of the best players in the Big Sky. The cornerback had 10 solo tackles to tackle for loss. In Big Sky play, just no one's going to throw towards Anthony Adams whatsoever because he's pretty damn good. On the line, probably the best player for Portland State, uh, B.J. Malo. Uh, his stat line doesn't jump off the board from this game. Two, two solo tackles, but he's an all-Big Sky-level talent. Portland State, front seven, absolutely looks like they will be a problem for some teams. They're not a Montana level problem, but for a team this low in the power rankings, you're like, we're at number, we're number eight right now. Portland state certainly has some promise, but here, here's the takeaway and why they finished number eight. One, they pissed away this game and people are going to hold that against you because they should, if you piss away again, they should have won from, from turnovers. Well, look, good teams don't piss away important games like this. And with for FCS teams holding on to these out of conference games, it absolutely, absolutely matters, especially if you can you can put an FBS win on the board. It's a big deal. Uh, but second, Portland State has no one has ever believed in recent seasons, Portland State to be an untalented football team. It's more that they're a team that they're they're not the most talented in the league. But they're not they're not going to perform reputationally to the talent that the recruiting classes would would lead you to believe they had. And that's to me why voters slot Portland State at number eight. To me, that honestly, Portland State had one of the most impressive weeks of week one play in the big sky. But they're number eight. They've got a reputation they're gonna have to overcome at the national level or at least the conference level before people start taking them a little more seriously. Issue for Portland State too is Look, they're in the, they have a shitty financial situation. They don't have an, they're one of two teams without an FCS, two teams in the big sky without an FCS out of conference game. So they needed to pick this win up. Portland State didn't. So they come in at number eight. Number seven to me is now, now we're starting to get a, li a little more interesting, at least uh, probably in terms of viewership 
this is going to be a little bit more interesting. Number seven, we've got UC Davis. Now, UC Davis, you know, I just went over Portland State, had a relatively impressive week. UC Davis did not have a particularly impressive week. Look, they lose at Cal. That's Power 5, Cal, Pac-12, Cal, as long Cal, as, long as the Pac-12 exists. 34-13 final final score. Question out of UC Davis is, hey, who is going to be their starting quarterback? Last season, Hunter Rodriguez was starter for most of the season, had some injury issues. He's gone. Miles Hastings played as the back, number two starter a bit, was not particularly impressive. But look, he's the only guy we had tape on to have any sort of judgment on. Well, look, Miles Hastings is the starter. He goes 32 of 50 for 242 yards, a touchdown, and two picks. So, Really not that different from what you might expect last season. Miles Hastings was not close to, uh, let's say, a top half of the Big Sky quarterback last season. This is a Pac-12 team, so, you know, grain of salt. But I I, I don't think anyone saw anything to think that Miles Hastings has taken some sort of big developmental step. Now, on the positive side, Alonzo Gilliam... Everyone knows Yulonzo Gilliam, one of the best. If he's not the best running back in the big sky, he's the second best. Rushes 14 times for 115 yards and a touchdown against Cal, including a long of 60. He sets the all-time UC Davis rushing record in the game. So if you're curious, Gilliam declared for the portal and came back to Davis. Now, sometimes when guys declare for the portal and come back, it changes their role. Not the case with Gilliam. I guess if you're the best player on your team or one of the best running backs in program history, you can declare for the portal, come back, and things are okay. Gilliam also seven catches for 35 yards. He's been a dual threat in the big sky for a long time, so uh, you wouldn't exactly call that shock. shock. Uh, Chaz Davis was the number one receiver for UC Davis in terms of receiving yards. Five receptions for 53 yards. Also picked up a touchdown, uh, but on the you know defensive side of the ball Davis is an interesting team because look they Dan Hawkins is a reputationally great coach he had good good success at Boise State he's the one who started the whole Boise State run uh ran into some issues while he was at Colorado for nepotism stuff arrives at Davis immediately restabilizes the program even though you would think uh, Dan Hawkins guy who kind of started the Boise state thing would be his teams might be stronger offensively relative to big sky teams. Actually not one of the higher scoring teams. They don't score low. Exactly. They just, they're not in the mold of a Bo Baldwin Eastern kind of team. They're they're not a team that scores 40 ish points. It's actually a lot more ball control than you might guess. Some trick plays, things like that. But, uh, They do limit Cal to 4.3 yards per rush. Davis actually rushed for more yards per rush than Cal did. Uh, Davis was effective on the ground at 5.4 yards. So a generalizable thing there you'd say is, look, they can rush for five and a half yards against Cal. They're probably going to rush decent against big sky defenses as well. It's to me, the passing game is going to be the question again, 50 passes for 242 yards. That's 4.8 yards per pass. That's Dylan McCaffrey, 2021 level production. But look, the Aggies, that's where the Aggies come in. And number seven, to me, of the mid-tier teams, of the perceived mid-tier teams, NAU clearly had the worst week. I'd probably put Davis as the other one, but I wouldn't be too low because against the Pac-12 team, Big Sky teams are supposed to lose these games, and Davis ran the ball uh, shockingly well 
relative to playing a Pac-12 team. Coming in at number six, Eastern Washington. Eastern Washington picks up an FCS win. And God did that did Eastern need to pick up this win because now they've got two power five by games in the next couple of weeks, Florida and Oregon or Oregon and Florida in, in one of those orders before opening big sky play against Montana state. So Eastern has the next three weeks are really going to be kicking the shit out of Eastern Washington. So this team needed to pick up a win. They beat Tennessee state 36 to 29 on the Inferno. The game also was disrupted for lightning uh, partway through. Eastern, of course, has a new starting quarterback. Eric Berrier finally graduated. The entire conference is saying, thank God, Berrier finally graduated. Redshirt senior, redshirt sixth-year senior, thank you, COVID, uh, Gunnar Talkington takes over. And the dude performed a lot better than I think everyone outside of Cheney thought. I know watching the game, this doesn't matter. He looks, honestly, Talkington looks like a running back who accidentally lined up under center. He's shorter. He's real built. He's probably the most physically strong quarterback that we're going to see any team in the big sky is going to see in conference play this season. But again, he's got the number two. He wears a running back style face mask. He's physically, he's shorter. And then he's stockier in terms of his frame because he's put on a lot of muscle. Dude was fine. He obviously does. Talkington does not have an arm like Eric Barrier because Lord, no one in the FCS does for the most part, but he acquitted himself fine. Uh, Passed 29 of 46 for 348 yards and five touchdowns, zero picks. Talkington also picked up 60 yards on the ground, nine rushes for 60 yards. So first question, Eastern has to replace Barrier. They're playing an, uh, Okay to solid FCS team. This is coached by Eddie George. Tennessee State wins five games last season, which for Tennessee State is good. Tennessee State also reputationally, just like Jackson State with Deion Sanders, reputationally they're starting to pick up the kind of recruits this school does not normally have. So punch, they're beginning to punch above their weight. This is an example of a former NFL guy taking his FCS job seriously, different from that dude down in Greeley. But Eastern, look, Eastern in a game that was tight, virtually wire to wire. I mean, Eastern trailed 1915 at the end of the first quarter due to missed, missed extra points. There were five first quarter touchdowns and we had that weird 1915 score, but um, big takeaway for Eastern. They're fine offensively. Look, Aaron best knows what he's doing. Aaron best can build offensive lines. He clearly has built the kind of offensive line that's going to let the team be productive. He knew what he was doing, handing the reins to Gunnar Talkington. There's a lot of apprehension, including from me, heading into the season about whether Talkington would be good enough. Talkington had one of the best week one performances of any big sky quarterback. Yes, he got the benefit of playing FCS teams, but look, you play who you play. Talkington, 348 yards, five touchdowns, no picks, plus 60 yards on the ground. Uh, pretty damn good. Another question for Eastern. Look, they lost two of the best receivers in in the in the big sky. Uh, to little Lemu Jones graduated. Andrew Boston just graduated, left the program, whatever. Lemu Jones is a bigger loss, but Andrew Boston was a very good big sky player. Freddie Roberson picks up right where those two left off. Uh, six receptions, 91 yards. Efton Chisholm the third, six receptions for 53 yards and two touchdowns. Look, Eastern just has an embarrassment of riches at at receiver. Uh, Nolan Ulm, also three receptions for 48 yards and a touchdown. Look, four different Eastern receivers picked up receiving touchdowns from Talkington. Now, Eastern on the ground, 
honestly, Talkington was easily the most effective rusher. Uh, Justice Jackson tied for the most carries for Eastern on the ground. He's seven, seven carries, 23 yards. And Tuna Altahar, I guarantee I butchered that name. Seven carries for for 20 yards. No Eastern running back looked uh, particularly impressive on the ground. Uh, Micah Smith, four rushes for 21 yards. But look, I just went through their next three top rushers, and it's all like in the 20, 20-ish yard range. Uh, so, you know, question about how strong that running back room is reputationally. It's supposed to be great. Uh, we'll see. We certainly don't have great returns yet. Gunner Talkington, although as a dual threat guy, look, the guy accounts for over 400, accounts for 408 yards on his own. About as good start as you could hope for Talkington. Now, we'll say on the downside for Eastern, there's, there's a move in the big sky not like purposefully, but a lot of teams are becoming bigger. A lot of teams are having a little bit more of a run first approach. And a lot of the defenses in the big sky over the last five years, let's say are getting stronger. Eastern could not stop Tennessee on the ground whatsoever. Uh, Tennessee, sorry, Tennessee state, Tennessee state rushes for 290 yards on 54 attempts. That's 5.4 yards per attempt uh, passing. Eastern, I mean, look, the secondary wasn't terrible or wasn't fantastic against Tennessee State. Tennessee State is certainly not the best team any Big Sky team played this week, but they're solid. Uh, But this was a back and forth, mostly offensive battle. If I'm an Eastern fan, I am a bit concerned about how Tennessee State could run uh, at a pretty steady clip. But what I'm impressed with is in spite of losing a Walter Payton Ward winner, Eastern still can score. They can still move the ball. Eastern comes in at number six. One of one of the big sky teams to get an FCS win. So, so they have a notch for that run to seven wins for the playoffs. And honestly, re- relative to what Eastern has the next three weeks, this is as good as you could hope. Six is fine for Eastern. They answered some questions offensively, but they showed us some questions on the defensive side. Moving on to a team a little bit closer to my heart at number five. We've got University of Idaho Vandals coming in. Now, on paper, there are some ways where Idaho maybe had the most – Idaho, to me, had the most impressive outing in week one, the Big Sky, or at the bare minimum of teams who didn't come away with a win. Idaho had the best showing. Idaho travels eight miles to Pullman. They play Washington State. Yeah, uh, Pac-12, Washington State, in a game that was – competitive wire to wire the game where the result was in doubt until 12 seconds remained in the game. And if you're a Vandal fan, Dallas and I went live for an hour after the game last night for instant reaction. So if that's what you want to hear, listen to that episode, but Idaho goes down 24, 17. So what the Vandals do well? Well, look defensively, Idaho held cam Ward, transfer from incarnate word to 46 touchdowns in the FCS last year to 215 yards on 40 attempts. The guy did throw three touchdowns. That's how WCU got their points. But Idaho's secondary, which was terrible last season, and honestly didn't have a ton of personnel change on the field. What changed was personnel. The guy's making the decisions on the sideline. Jason X, head coach, Rob Orich, defensive coordinator, Stanley Franks, TV coach. That's what changed. And secondary looked quite impressive for Idaho. You Look, Cam Ward is as good a quarterback as any team in the Big Sky is going to face the entire season, guys. Idaho held him to uh, 215 yards on 40 attempts. 
Idaho's front seven, reputationally, they're strong and look, they held up fine against WSU. Um, give up, they gave up 143 yards on the ground total. But the, look, the reason this game is competitive for Idaho, it wasn't Idaho offense. It was Idaho defense forced turnovers, uh, two fumbles early, including one that was returned for a touchdown. That's what kept Idaho in this game was the defensive side of the ball. So Big Sky fans, generalizable thing here is Idaho's defense is it looks real. It looks like it is significantly improved from last season, especially through the air. Offense, it is offensively, it's hard to gauge Idaho right now because the look, the clear weakness for Idaho is offensive line. Idaho just did not have the horses to keep WSU's front seven away, away from the quarterback and away from pl- from plugging up the, the any sort of lanes for for a running attack. Giovanni McCoy, redshirt freshman, started for Idaho. Uh, goes 21 for 32, 212 yards, one touchdown, two picks. Dude was under incredible duress. Had honestly like five or six snaps total where he had time to pass. And he looked fine doing that. But he was also sacked seven times. Was on the run every other play. So it looked hard to know in terms of big sky play what this means for Idaho. Giovanni McCoy looked okay. You know, There's some ways where you'd say it kind of reminds me of uh, Sasha Ray at Portland state in terms of overall performance of look, probably isn't the best quarterback in the big sky, but looks like he could be certainly good enough. Uh, the two, two interceptions were the kind of mistakes you expect a redshirt freshman to make. But one of them was also at the very end of the game where Idaho's driving to tie or win the game. If they go for two, there's, there's a pick with 12 seconds left. That's the game. Uh, rushing the ball. Idaho rushes 34 times for 62 yards. Uh, obviously not that effective, but again, they had no space on the line. Uh, top receiver for receiving target for Idaho was uh, Jermaine Jackson, six receptions for 113 yards, long of 42. Our true freshman Jacob Dwyer had an impressive run at the end of end of the fourth quarter, three receptions, 30, 39 yards, and a touchdown. If you're a regular Big Sky fan, uh, Therese Trainer and Hayden Hatton are the top receivers for Idaho. Those two had a quiet-ish performance, seven combined receptions for 43 combined yards between the two. Uh, big picture, Idaho is competitive against a strong Washington State team. Uh, great start for first-year coach Jason Eck. Fan base is stoked. Hard for things to go much better. And again, of teams who lost this week, Idaho easily acquitted themselves better than anyone else. This was one of the more impressive performances in, in the conference. And yeah, I'm an Idaho fan, but I pay attention to all the games, guys. I, Idaho Idaho looks markedly better. We obviously have to see what that looks like. If the big sky is going to understand Idaho is anything but in that mid tier, but of the mid tier teams to me, look, you're deciding, do you, do you like Portland state leading San Jose state late in the game? They should have won better. Do you like Eastern beating a solid FCS team by seven at home better? Or do you like Idaho staying competitive the entire game result in doubt with 12 seconds left? against Washington state. I don't know how you sort those out. I honestly, I put Idaho at the top and our voters put Idaho at the top as well, but there we go. Idaho Vandals come in at number five, number four, we have Weber state wildcats who you're going to hear a little bit less effusive description from me regarding Weber state because Weber state played one of the two total division two games. The entire conference has in the out of conference schedule. 
Now, big news, of course, is if the entire Big Sky only has two of those games scheduled, that's great news for the conference. It means more teams are doing more to set themselves up for the playoffs, or they're at least doing more to get more FCS wins so that inter intra-conference wins can maybe mean more in terms of the selection committee. This game was not one of those. Western Oregon's a D2 team, not a particularly impressive D2 team. Weber State wins 41-5, to a game that was... Not in doubt whatsoever. Um, Bronson Barron, Weber State quarterback, goes, he's a returner. He's been at Weber State, honestly, for a little bit longer than you might guess. Played in the spring season, played a little bit last season, had some injury issues. He's a sophomore, but he's a sophomore who's theoretically a third-year starter. Goes 16 for 28 for 152 yards. Not, Not exactly lighting the world on fire, but as the D2 team, they didn't need to. Josh Davis leads the running attack. And look, Davis is a very good running back. He's been at Weber State, thanks to COVID and injuries, forever. Davis is a guy who Weber State fans have been robbed of a lot of time because he's had just rough issues with injuries and concussions for as many seasons I can remember, Josh, other than, than Josh Davis's freshman year. He is a guy who's he just gets beat up eventually, but guy looks strong. 11 rushes, 53 yards, and a touchdown. Also three receptions for 12 yards. Not lighting the world on fire, but Josh Davis is an all-big-sky level running back. Good to see that he's healthy. Uh, Dante McMillan was an effective dude for Weber State last year who touched the ball three times in the backfield for three yards. One reception for one yard. That's a little confusing for me, but also this is a D2 game where – Again, they won, they won 41 to five. Uh, not shocking to see Weber State, strong defensive team, reputationally give up five total points. Uh, defensive side of the ball, the uh, Western Oregon rushed 24 times for three total yards. Obviously, attribute some of that to sacks. 34 passes for 129 yards. Weber State gives up 132 total yards. But I guess the reason this is, this to me is unimpressive is one, it's a D2 team. So if you have a good big sky defense, you should beat the shit out of D2 team. Two, offensively, Weber State didn't need to do a lot to get their 41 points, but 343 total yards is not that impressive an outing and honestly right in line with where a stereotypical analysis of Weber State is going to be, hey, strong defensively, not that great offensively. Uh, that is kind of what we saw. Again, they won easily. Didn't need to do that much, but uh, Weber State comes in at number four. You're not going to hear much enthusiasm for the Wildcats until they start playing D1 games, which happens beginning next week. So, hey, things could change in my world. They come in at number four in our power rankings. Number three, this is maybe where uh, some more people might might not be 100% into who's in number three uh, either in either direction. Sacramento State comes in at number three. And look, their preseason number three media poll, number two coaches poll. They have an FCS game. They beat Utah Tech, a.k.a. former Dixie State, 56-33. to They run that hybrid quarterback system. Jake Dunaway is the passing quarterback. 17 Go 17-25, 141 yards, two passing touchdowns. Asher O'Hara is their running quarterback, but he is an effective short passer as well. He goes 5-7 of seven passing, 56 yards, and two touchdowns. Asher O'Hara also picks up 101 yards on the ground, 12 rushes, and a touchdown. 
lead running back, Cameron Scadaboo, 10 rushes for 153 yards and a touchdown. Scadaboo averaged nine yards per carry in 2021. So look, last season, it took a little bit of time for Sacramento State to figure out what they're doing quarterback-wise. They know what they're doing week one. So look, 56 points. Man, uh, that offense is humming already. So phase one, that's a, that's a big takeaway for Sacramento State. The defense did, did force turnovers, three interceptions, one's a pick six. But uh, Utah Tech, not a great FCS team. Sacramento State gives up 33 points to Utah Tech. So, you know, more takeaways from, from Sacramento State. Cameron Scadaboo, again, wide, running back, but he's a threat to catch the ball as well. Two receptions, 30 yards, and a touchdown. Uh, Pierre Williams is their top wide receiver, returning all big sky, preseason all big sky. Two receptions for 16 yards. Uh, in addition, in addition, we also have um, Marshall Martin, five receptions, 55 yards, two touchdowns, a long of 20. So, look, S- Sacramento State's got talent for sure. Uh, they started the way a top three team, the Big Sky, needs to start if this is what they're going to if if they're going to be contending for the Big Sky title like they won last year. Then look, this is a start they need. Uh, 56 points is an impressive offensive outing, especially for a team that struggled a little bit last season to find its offensive footing. Uh, if I'm a Sac State fan, I'm a little bit concerned about giving up 33 points. However, only gave up 10 points in the first half. Some of the 14 points in the fourth quarter, you might call that a garbage time touchdown. So maybe, maybe not, maybe a little Xanax on the giving up 33 points to a not that great Utah Tech team. But uh, Sacramento State comes in number three. So that leaves just the state of Montana for number two and number one. Number two, we have Montana State. Montana State hosts McNeese State. Game wasn't exactly in doubt. It was a rough first quarter for Montana State in terms of it was zero zero one quarter in, but then you know they they cruised to a forty to seventeen win. Uh, preseason first team quarterback Tommy Malott for big for Montana State. Uh, a lot of people have a lot of hope in Tommy Malott. Passes 11 for 19, 182 yards and two touchdowns. So look, not certainly not an awful outing whatsoever. Not the kind of passing outing you might expect from the guy who was picked as the best preseason quarterback in the league by media. Uh, but Malott is also threat on the ground, 16 rushes for 44 yards and a touchdown. Honestly, the story for Montana State was Lane Sumner. Uh, Elijah, sorry, um, Isaiah Fonse doesn't play this week. He's like, he's kind of month to month with injuries. Lane, Lane Sumner has his number called rushes 24 times for 176 yards, no touchdowns long of 40, but man, obviously had no, no issue as a team. Montana state rushes 59 times for 359 yards. They are a running team. That's a very strong outing. And Lane Sumner promoted number one with Isaiah Fonse out. Looked the part of just, Hey, next man up Montana state's got running backs for days. Lane Sumner also led the team in receiving yards, two receptions for 52 yards. The team is, is a real question about who is going to step up from the wide receiver room for Montana state. Uh, we did have Robbie Alston, three receptions, 48 yards and a touchdown. Willie Patterson, three, three receptions, 45 yards and a touchdown. And defensively Montana state, they give up 17 total points. McNeese state, picks up 303 total yards, but I, I will certainly not necessarily call it the uh, most, most efficient uh, 303 yards. And it, it yielded 17 points in, sp- t- in spite of a, a, th- a perfect 30 minute, 30 minute split in terms of times of possession, 
Montana State absolutely dominates after a rough, rough first quarter. So yeah, Bobcats come in at number two, which leaves number one, Montana Grizzlies. And Montana... Montana finished the top eight last season. Their preseason number one media poll, their preseason number one coaches poll. Question at, at starting quarterback. Lucas Johnson looks like the perfect Bobby Hout quarterback. He's their starter. Goes 15 to 24 for 208 yards. Throws four touchdowns. He's a threat on the ground. Seven rushes for 76 yards as well. Look, Montana State, Montana pitches a shutout. Give up 36 total rushing yards give up 183 passing yards. So look, they barely surrender 200 total yards. Northwestern state's not a good FCS team, but Montana did exactly what they needed to do, which was if they're preseason number one in the big sky, this is an FCS game. This is a buy game for them essentially to get an FCS win to pad their playoff resume. That's what they did. Uh, Running back room, Look, they're effective overall. 42 rushes for 211 yards, two touchdowns. Unclear exactly what the running back hierarchy is. Lucas Johnson, quarterback, was their top rusher in terms of yard total yards. Uh, Nick Osmo ran nine times for 62 yards and a touchdown. Xavier Harris rushed eight times for 29 yards, no touchdown. Marcus Knight, who 2019 was uh, all big, was an all Big Sky performer. Missed 2021 with a blown ACL. He rushes six times with 26 yards and one touchdown. Little trickery from Bobby Howick. Knight wasn't even listed on the depth chart heading into the game, but as we all know, depth charts are not uh, precisely correct documents. Receiving room, number one receiver, Mitch Roberts, got six catches for 103 yards, two touchdowns. Junior Bergen, guy who played running back for Montana last season due to injuries. He's back in his slot position. Two receptions, 61 yards, but hey, both catches were touchdowns. Malik Flowers, kickoff returner. He's wide receiver as well. One reception for 29 yards. So not exactly life-changing there with Malik Flowers in the uh, receiving room, but still uh, solid outing. Um, Montana also recovers three. They recover three fumbles in addition to uh, forcing two interceptions on Northwestern States. That's five takeaways. Uh, Montana defense looks stout. Look, they pitched a shutout, like I said. Uh, Montana comes in at number one. They were pretty unequivocal. Number one, there about four total votes that were not for Montana for first place. So that's our power rankings, guys. Uh, thanks for tuning in. If you like it, share it. Uh, we're going to, I'm going to do this as often as I can probably try to cut about five minutes or so off the episodes. It's always going to be Sunday night uh, as well. But uh, again, everyone who, who tuned in, thank you. And we'll be back next week. It's time for me to play a Tubbs at the Club outro. And I'll see you guys later. This is producer Brian doing a terrible job of even finding what we're going to play us out with. So I'm just going, we're just.